just a couple minutes to, uh, I know the sometimes the live videos show up super quick for people, so um, I'll just give you a minute or two and then we can uh, get started. Oh, no. I think the uh, phone's too far away. I see you guys are typing stuff, and I can't see it. It's too far away from me. I hope you're saying nice things. Oh, it's good. Carson's are watching. Billy's watching. Pleasant Rufus are watching. Arlo, you got a hair in your mouth, buddy. It's gross. It's very social of you, Andrew. Thanks for saying that. <laughs> yeah, man, that's the way. That's the way to laugh, buddy. That's the way to play with the ups. Hey, you still got that hair in your mouth. Okay. 30 seconds, and then we'll fire up. Uh, you will need your Bibles today, and we are, uh, surprise, surprise, actually going to bounce around just a bit. So uh, I would grab your Bible. You may need it for, for reference. This is on Sarah's Fair, page We do have a wider shot today. You're probably going to catch uh, more of Arlo's head. Give me that, give me that hair. Oh, gross, oh, man. God, it's huge. Oh, that's, that's a 30-foot hair. I can't get a hold of it. Yeah, oh, oh. Stuck in there. He tried to like use it as floss. Ah. Ah. Oh. oh, was was it attached to bacon? Who's that? That's nasty, buddy. Okay. Well, good morning, guys. Thank you for joining. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I I don't know if everybody's on, uh, but um, how many? How many, Emma? Ten. Roll up the numbers. Okay. Ten. Hey. Two fewer than worship. Seems about right. Let's get rolling. So. Um, so here's, here's what's interesting about today is, uh, you know, I, I generally don't like to be distracted from my teaching calendar, of which I don't really have. I just, it's the next story that's in the Bible, and that's what we're going to talk about. And so I had every intention of just teaching uh, the end of Luke 7 today, but my wife said, it's Easter, and you have to see, see, teach Easter. And I went, uh, and then Layla said, hey, it's Easter, you should teach Easter. And so I went, uh, and so we're going to, here's what we're going to do. Is I did a compromise. The compromise today is that uh, we're teaching both. What's my idea? So we're going to teach the end of Luke 7, uh, which I was going to teach anyway, and we're going to talk about Easter. And here's what the interesting, here's what you got to watch out for, okay? Is that uh, there, there's a thing that's going to connect. That we're going to go through three stories today. We're going to go through the end of Luke 7, part of Luke 23, and Luke 24. And here's what I want you to keep an eye out for is how are they connected? There's something that actually ties all those three things together and not just that Jesus is in them, okay? There's something that ties them together that I think is very appropriate for how we think about Easter. So, uh, again, have your Bibles ready. We're going to be Luke 7, Luke 23, and Luke 24. So just a quick reminder. Oh, if, it depends how long we're in this lockdown, but um, we may need to try to find a way to do our review game at home. So where I give you the review questions as a family, you huddle, and we do it on Facebook. I'm thinking through that. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll see. Maybe next week or the week after. It just depends on how, how long we're locked down. Um, but just, just a reminder of where we came from. Last week, uh, Jesus was talking with uh, or talking about responding to messengers from John the Baptist. Remember, they said, look, if uh, John wants to know, are you the one or should we expect somebody else? Okay, And so ultimately, uh, Jesus doesn't just tell them, yes, I'm the one that you expect. He shows them. He says, watch. 
people are being healed, the blind are seeing, um, the good news is brought to the poor. So it, it validates that what John was looking for in the Messiah, that Jesus is actually doing that. Okay, So he deals with them that way. And then he starts talking about John the Baptist. And he talked about um, this transition between this, this being a people of promise, things that God was going had promised to do and was intending to fulfill, and then this time of fulfillment that Jesus is bringing. Okay, and so um, John is kind of that transition guy. He was the guy who helps kind of bring the talk to the people of promise um, and recognize that now is the time of fulfillment. And Jesus ultimately is the guy who fulfills those types of things. And so he has that conversation with them. Um, and then Jesus talks about the, the the leadership's reaction to John the Baptist as a whole. You remember he said. John the Baptist, uh, that they, John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom, wisdom is justified by all her children. And what, one of the broad takeaways there was that ultimately they were being stubborn. The 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 leaders of the church at the time, or the the leaders of of the Jewish folks, were saying, uh, look, if this guy isn't playing in the way that we would expect. Um, then we're not going to follow, we're not going to believe. Um, and that is going to be a continuing theme here, is what ultimately people are expecting about Jesus. And so this story transitions, and it's too bad we couldn't do it last week, because it has a good connection to the stuff that we covered um, last week about John the Baptist and how the leadership were reacting. But it transitions to a story about a sinful woman. Okay, So let me read it to you, and then we can talk through it real quick. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that, she, that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, he said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, stay, teacher. So let's let's stop there and catch a couple things. Um, so notice, first of all, that one of the Pharisees asked him to eat. Did Jesus agree? Did he say, yeah? Yeah. So like of all the, of all the like uh, things that he's talking about with the Pharisees, and he's got a lot of things where it says, yeah, you're not really handling this the way that you should be. You're not thinking of the kingdom of God correctly. Um, he still agrees to eat with the Pharisee. Might be less than that for us, right? He doesn't say no. He, he, Jesus is always willing to accept an invitation of someone who wants to engage with him. Okay, he goes to the Pharisee's house, and it says, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Um, the Bible does not tell us what her sin was. Um, adults, you can probably speculate better than others, but like, uh, and that's, that's generally the, the thought. But, um, just, but we don't know. We don't know what her issue is. She could be associated with bad things. She could be running a business that is um, is not ethical. Okay, she 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 could be doing all kinds of things that otherwise we've labeled her as a sinner. Okay, um, the Bible also doesn't tell us who this is. Don't overlook into this. Um, for specifically, um, th- there would be another story in the Bible of someone anointing Jesus. That's Mary of Bethany. It's Lazarus's sister. This is not the same woman. It's not the same circumstance at all. There are two different places. Uh, there are two different outcomes, and frankly, there's two different lessons from those two stories. This is not the same situation. This is also not Mary Magdalene. There's no reason to believe that it is. Luke will introduce us to Mary Magdalene in the very next chapter, like right away in the next chapter, but it ties nothing back to this story. There's no reason to think this is her. We do get a background of Mary Magdalene. Um, this woman is unnamed, so we don't know what her profession is. We don't know what we don't know what makes her a sinner, okay? And we don't know who she is. She's a name. She's a faceless, nameless woman. Um, but all we know is is that she, uh, the Pharisees would look, and the Jewish folks would look at her and say, "This woman is a sinner." Okay. Um, Jesus is invited to the Pharisee's house. He's reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. So there's two uh, two types of meals. If there was a private meal, something that you would be having with your family, um, generally you would sit and eat. The tables would be super low. Um, if you guys are familiar, Carson House, you guys would know. If you're familiar with um, how how like Eastern folks eat, Chinese folks eat, whatever they're generally sitting on the ground. Even today, in, in some places, uh, that it's, think something like that. They're generally sitting low. Um, if it is a public meal, however, um, which they would tend to do for like a special event, there's like a, they're throwing a, a shindig on someone's behalf or like it's a public event and they're going to have a big meal. There's two things that you would need to know. The first is, is there would be a main table, which everyone, the invited guests would be at. They wouldn't sit upright. They would generally like lean on a shoulder like this. Okay. Use their right hand to pick up food. 
Right? Yeah, like you would be laying on your side. Like you would ever, like you ever, if you think of the exercise where you lay on your side and you put your leg up like this, up and down, okay? Think of it kind of like that, except you'd be propped up on your elbow and then you'd be kind of chatting with everybody. Hey, how's it going? This, uh, this food is delicious. Love the chocolate. Hey, Stan, how's it going? Reach over. It's that, okay? Everyone's kind of leaning. That's, so when they say Jesus is reclining at table, that's what they mean. Also, at an event like that, people could come and go. Why would they do that? Why would they have a big event with important people and allow people to come and go? Well, there might not be enough seats. Could be that there, are, there aren't enough seats. Maybe they're inviting more people. Could be. Um, think, of it, think of it this way. The motivation to allow you to be public is to be seen. If you put on a, a sweet banquet and you have important people there, you want people to know that. Don't you? I'm not saying you do, but I'm saying like think of the motivation, right? Hey, look, I have a guest of honor. I have, uh, I, 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 am, I, can, I bring very fancy food. You do those things, not only so your guests can know that, but then the rest of the community can go, oh, yeah, look at that guy bringing fancy food in. He's very important. He has important people in here. So what would often happen is the doors would be left open. The family event doors are closed, okay? For a public event like that or a big dinner, they would leave the doors open, and people would come in, and they would they'd peek around and say, who's here? Who's, what's going on in here? Who they got at the table? Who's reclining? Okay. And then secondly, some of the poor folks would be allowed in and they would stand at the side and they would um, look at his opportunity to maybe make food, okay? to be able to get some food from somebody uh, or just to be around those types of people. Okay? Now, that makes sense because this woman just walks in, right? And so like, one of the things we would ask ourselves is like, what the heck, man? If you were putting on some kind of thing and uh, you had a very important guest and I were in my house and someone just walked in, who wasn't Griffin, I suppose, uh, then I would say to myself, what's going on? Who is this person? But just know, nobody reacts to the fact that she walked in. It's normal because of the, the, the type of meal that it was. Make sense? Okay. So uh, she comes in and she, into the Pharisee's house. She brings an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind it at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, I don't care who you are, this seems weird. Doesn't it? If someone was starting to do this to you. Um, so considerations, things to, things to think about. One, this is a very distinct posture of humility that this woman, like what would it, think, think of what it would take for you to ever, uh, you remember when we, just remember a long time we were talking about bowing, people bowing to each other, and like sometimes to show honor, people would get on their knees and kind of go down like this, and it wasn't like, it, it was a deep sense of respect. I am willing to subject myself in this way to show that I respect you, that I revere you, that I honor you. Okay? Think of what she's doing as something very much like that. To come in, and we, we, we're not told why she's weeping, okay? Um, but she comes in, and she is wetting and cleaning Jesus' feet. She's adding the perfume to it, and she's using her hair to wipe it off. Like, that is a sign of very deep respect. Very deep, probably thankfulness, okay, of reverence to Jesus. Um, but how she is doing it is probably a little bit weird, right? Like if you're, in, like if all of a sudden everyone's all leaning back and eating the stuff, and you look over and there's this woman, hey buddy, and there's this woman crying, okay, and cleaning off someone's feet with her hair, like that would start to feel a little bit awkward, don't you think? Like what's going on? What's going on over there? And and if you're the Pharisee, who's already suspicious of Jesus to begin with, tell me that you're not going to look over and go, what, what is he doing? Like, why is he permitting this? This is this is weirding people out. And like, well, ultimately, what's the Pharisee going to be, what's he going to think in his head about what's happening? Good. What else? He's going to think of Jesus. Sorry, I, I didn't know his name. Yeah. So what is Pharisee going to think about Jesus because of him? Yeah. Like maybe he, he you know, rubs elbows with her or condones her behavior. Yeah, yeah. What's, yeah what's, the, what's the word? He says, um, he thinks to himself, that if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who was touching him, for she is a sinner. What's the underlying thing he's thinking? That Jesus isn't a prophet. Well, one, that he's probably not a prophet because he should know better. But, like, isn't that the underlying point? That if Jesus knew, he would never associate with people like this. The Pharisee has in his mind that you shouldn't associate with certain types of people. It's okay to dine and eat and share time and space and conversation with some people. It's not okay to do that with other people. 
very exclusionary. Okay, so that and that's what he is thinking. And so he says, "Oh, he's thinking to himself, he would most certainly would not act this way if he knew. So he must not know." So those are the two ac- accusations. One, he certainly can't be a prophet; he would know the difference. And two, if he knew the difference and did this anyway, then he's shameful. Then Jesus is acting shamefully. Okay. Yes. What does alabaster mean? Uh, alabaster, is, so it's like a, it's a, 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 something that the jar is made out of. It's, yeah, it's a stone. It's very expensive. So like, think of it as uh, like a whole year's worth of wages is what it might cost to have something like that. It's very, and I think about this. It's very possible that that what, the perfume that the lady has uh, was bought with money based upon her sinful behavior, whatever job that she might have or whatever. Okay. Um, so Jesus, in response to this, now this is what's funny. Uh, the guy thinks that to himself. Jesus looks at him. The guy's name is Simon and has, I have something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. And so Jesus tells the story. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. You know why people say, I suppose? Because they realize they're walking into a trap of some sort. This is pretty, if anybody uh, studied Socrates, this is pretty common. Like, you keep asking questions until people realize that their position was wrong. This is what Jesus is doing. He's proposing, he's presenting a parable for the guy to go, well, I suppose, and he's thinking in his mind, if I answer this way, what he's going to get me? He's going to get me somehow. Okay? So he says, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Okay, good interaction with Jesus and the man. Jesus asks the question, the man answers, and we're like, good, you judge correctly. Everyone's feeling pretty good on itself. And then it takes a turn. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. What happened? What happened? He turned it on. Yeah, it, this got turned on the dude. The dude who held satisfied with himself says, go good, I got this rightly, I'm very happy. Okay? Um, the parable was about him. And the parable is about the woman. So, uh, Jesus turns and says, this woman has done these these gracious, courteous things for me that you didn't do. Now, the question is, is like, was Jesus shown honor when he was invited to this man's house? It doesn't seem like it. It seems like Simon the Pharisee denied him some of the basic things of honor that you might have expected for an, for an invited guest. For example, when a guy comes in, when you're walking around in your sandals um, on streets that aren't paved, right, that's full of animal excrement, okay, poop, and it's full of garbage that people might throw out and all kind of, and mud and other things. Like to enter a person's home, you, you would generally be offered to wash your feet. It would probably be a servant of the home that would do it. Okay, this is why it's so interesting when Jesus does this for his disciples later on. So, but it doesn't give any indication that Simon the Pharisee offered that to him. Okay, he doesn't anoint him with oil. That's um, that's not an all the time thing, but it's something you might do to show someone honor. Um, is to bring oil and, and let it kind of kind of rub on them. It sounds like something Jesus would do to give an example, and then the guy's just like, "Yes, I got it right." Yep. And he's just like, "Well, well, actually, this was about you." Well, exactly. You see, what he did is he got them to agree to the premise. The premise is right. Like people who are forgiven much, um, love much. People who realize they need forgiven much are appreciative when it happens. And people who don't think they need forgiven, <laughs> Simon the Pharisee, don't don't love as much in return. This is about the actions that Jesus has taken plus the actions of the woman in return. Okay? So ultimately he says, you do not anoint my head with oil and she has anointed my feet with oil. Oh, and it was the kiss. He's not ceasing to kiss my feet. Uh, listen here. Not awkward. So he would have expected that Simon give him a kiss when he came in. Yes. We don't do that. Okay? I don't kiss Kevin Carson when he comes into the house for the house church. I, maybe I should start. Kevin, we're going to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. I'm going to plant one on your cheek next time, we, next time you show Okay, so like it was a sign. They still this is still common in some Middle Eastern uh, parts of the world, or parts of the Middle East. Okay, to give a, a another man a kiss or someone a kiss when they come in to, to give him a greeting. Okay, he doesn't do that. And so Jesus is saying like for the, the man, she's no uh, doesn't have a built-in thing of honor or reverence or respect for Jesus. But this woman who Jesus has done something for, very much does, and she recognizes what Jesus has done. Okay, 
So uh, he says, therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who worked at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So two other quick things. Has Jesus forgiven someone's sins so far? Has he already proclaimed yeah, to forgive the, somebody's sins? The paralyzed guy. That's right. The guy, the unroof the roof guy. They sat down and said, your sins are forgiven. What was the reaction at that time? The same. Yeah. Oh. Who could forgive sins? Is that a right question? Yes. Totally acceptable question. Okay. Um, who can forgive sins? And also, what does that imply about the conversation he just had with the Pharisee and the parable and the woman? They don't get it. Yeah, so not only are they, are they missing it, right? But like she is reacting the way she is because her sins have been forgiven. We're not to, Jesus did not just forgive her sins. The sense is that he has interacted with this woman already. Okay? And so that the interaction um, that she has been forgiven. She's turning from her, she's repenting, turning from whatever life that she was leading before. She has been forgiven. She found out that Jesus was there and she came to show her appreciation. It's one of the things, guys, that, that humbles me is that like I don't show appreciation very well. And I certainly, if I thought, boy, it's going to be super weird if I go in there and show my appreciation in this way, and I weep and I clean his feet, and I put my perfume on him, and when everyone's around, this is going to be weird. But she recognizes how much Jesus has done for him and says, I shall bear no shame or embarrassment for telling my, for acknowledging Jesus and showing him how much he's done for me. And so I thought, that's cool because I don't do that. I don't think of things that way. I am afraid of what people will think. Um, if I express myself in a certain way or about certain things. Um, and I probably would be afraid to do it here. And so I'm humbled to watch not only her recognition of how much Jesus has done, but her willingness to say it um, and to demonstrate it in front of other people. And what a witness that is, right? Because how we humbly react to Jesus in, other, in front of other people, they get to, to, in a sense, experience what Jesus has done for us as well. And it's, a, it's something that may otherwise be a lesson to the Pharisees to be able to see. And Jesus used that very thing to say, look how this woman reacted. She recognized that she was forgiven much. But the Pharisee is probably under the impression he doesn't need to be forgiven much. Because he says things like, oh, I would have never hung out with that person to begin with. Okay? And watch what Jesus, uh, no, do you notice that woman never spoke? Do you notice that? She didn't say anything. She just comes in and shows um, her respect and honor and, and gratefulness to Jesus Jesus uses her even though she didn't say a thing. It didn't have anything to do what she was offering and her great speech. She just came in and humbly offered what she had. Um, and he says, your faith has saved you. Ultimately, were her sins forgiven because she dumped the perfume? Were they forgiven because she wept on his feet? Because she cleaned him with his hair? No. Why was she forgiven? Because she believed. Because she believed. She had faith. She trusted that Jesus was who he says he was. That he was capable of doing the, set, the things that he says he can do. Okay, and that she recognized that she needed it, that her faith saved her, and, and it, it includes all three of those things. Pretty sweet, Arlo. Okay, good. That's so. That's Luke seven. I'm cutting you short on Luke seven. Let's move to Luke. Oh, now I can't see anything. Nope, gone completely. Let's go to Luke uh, twenty-three, uh, starting in verse. Let me. I'll take one to get there. Uh, by the uh, way, 32. Uh, Alyssa said that uh, the Pharisee got schooled by Jesus. And then Mike said, Jesus schooled. He got the JS. It's like the quarantine. Jesus schools people when other people are. No, that's not right, though. He's not over there. Hey, Arlo. But it's not helpful. We may have to tie up the curtain. What? Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, chapter 23. Actually, I remember, I remember distinctly a time when I was like uh, 22 or 23, and I, was, I wasn't reading the Bible very often, and I decided to pick it up, and I don't remember what I read. It was, I think it was in Matthew somewhere. But like it was story after story of Jesus schooling people. And, I, and that, like, there's nothing that excites a 23-year-old dude than, than a guy coming in and taking care of business. Now, maybe it's Jason Bourne or, like, or uh, Tom Cruise. You know? Maybe you're that type of guy, which I like some of that stuff. But then uh, watching Jesus come in and do it. And, and people continue to try to trip him up and accuse him of things. Um, and he always had an answer. And it was always a gracious answer. And it was always a truthful answer. And it always zinged the right people. And it showed mercy to the right people. And I remember thinking, yeah, I'm on. I can I can give my life to this. I can follow this kind of thing. Hey, buddy. 
Okay, so Luke 23. Let's start in uh, verse... Let's start in verse 32. Um, okay, so uh, we're fast-forwarding quite a bit, guys. We're fast-forwarding quite a bit. Um, this is where Jesus has... This is where Jesus has been crucified. Okay? Um, so he's already been... already been down to the cross. He's already made his, he's, he was carrying the cross basically on his way up uh, to Golgotha, uh, where he would die. Um, so this picks up the story at, right at that time, okay, when he's on his way up. And starting uh, Luke 23, verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, those are the Roman soldiers. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. So we'll stop there. So again, we're just going to touch on this story. We're going to point out a couple things, and then we're going to move on to chapter 24. Um, so he's got two criminals who are on either side of him. Uh, likely, guys, sometimes we call them thieves. I think that's probably not right. You didn't get, you didn't get crucified for being a thief, for stealing. Um, that same word, underlying Greek word, leistes, means someone who's starting a revolution. Uh, people who are um, trying to do things that are otherwise against the Roman government. Okay? That's why um, Barabbas was, go was, was um, going to be killed for that. He wasn't a thief either. Okay, these two guys on either side. Barabbas, remember Barabbas was the guy who they uh, like the the wild eyed dude. I, I remember that. But okay, they said it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't remember how they said it. Yeah. So anyway, Barabbas. Um, so he was a revolutionary. Um, ultimately, guys, that's what Jesus is being accused of too. You know, it's like the inscription above the cross is "King of the Jews," not not thief, not Sabbath breaker, not guy who said he would uh, destroy the temple. Okay. He's being crucified ultimately under the guise that he was a threat to Rome. And that's likely what these other two guys are being crucified for as well. Okay, again, they don't crucify thieves. Um, it's revolutionaries. And so um, those two guys are being crucified with them. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't realize what they're ultimately doing, the sin that they're committing. They think what they're doing is right. Um, and they cast lots to divide his garments. Um, that was foretold from Psalm 22. And the people stood by watching. Now listen to this. The rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. He is the, uh, If he is the Christ of God, if he is the king that God has sent, his chosen one. And they mocked him the same, offering the sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. If you are this, then you would save yourself. If you are really a king, you would use your power to get down from the cross. You wouldn't have ended up this way in the first place. Right? This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the king? Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. Look, he taxed himself on the end. He's mocking Jesus, but he's like, well, <laughs> if you are the king, save yourself and us. Bring us all with you. He, he doesn't believe it. He obviously doesn't think Jesus can. He's taking the opportunity to mock him while he's up there dying on a cross as well. I like the rebuke from the other guy, who likely, if we look, look the story the way Matthew tells him, he says both of them were mocking Jesus. It's likely this guy's attitude changes. As he's sitting there watching Jesus interact and asking for forgiveness for the people around him, and probably what's going on in the sky, and he's like, something might be to this. And so it's likely that this second, second man changes his mind. And he says, he rebukes the other man saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sense of condemnation? And we are justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. This, this man has done nothing wrong. 
he's come to the conclusion that Jesus is being incorrectly crucified. And he said, Jesus, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, what a cool thing. What a cool thing. He says, like, uh, we, we, people struggle with this, guys. We have every element of someone coming to Jesus. They say, look, I'm, I, I need him. I know that I need him. I know that I'm guilty. I know that I need his rescue. Um, and I believe he is who he says he is. And the man says, this day you will join me with, with me in paradise. Whatever's going to happen, this man is going to know very, very soon um, that Jesus is the king and the, everything that he said he was. And so the truth is, guys, if you look at the way that the other people were reacting to him, it says, if you are the king, you would do this. Well, we know he's the king, just like we knew he was the prophet. And so their expectations of how God interacts with the world and how he looks at people has, have to change. Okay? Um, it says it was about the sixth hour. Um, so remember, they start from, uh, you start from 6 a.m. Okay, so the sixth hour is what time? Noon. Okay, it's about noon. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Hey, just common thing to think of, guys. In the Bible, when creation speaks, when creation reacts to things going on, you should listen. You should listen. Okay? It's, it doesn't get dark at noon. Uh, actually, I think the Passion of Christ kind of got this wrong. It implied that there was like a storm rolling in or something. I, I, it's, it's, this is a supernatural offering. Okay? The sky was not supposed to be dark, and it now is dark. Okay, So anytime, sometimes we skip over that stuff because we're looking for people-type things, guys. But when you see, when you see uh, creation reacting to things, you should pay very close attention because it means that something of extreme substance is happening because it not only impacts the people around us, but creation itself is reacting to whatever's going on. And this wasn't uncommon, by the way, in that time that like deaths of major rulers or whatever, a lot of times people would, would say, well, we saw it. We could tell with what was going on in the environment around us that something major had happened. And so this would have contributed to that. It wasn't just something for us. If, if it gets dark at noon and you're sitting there looking at a man who claims to be innocent, innocent being crucified, something starts to snap in your mind. And you're like, whoa, something of substance is being here. I think the centurion, by the way, doesn't say that this must be the son of God just because Jesus died. Okay? He's looking around. He's taking all this stuff in. He's seeing the, the, the stuff change. The environment change around him is like something big is going on. Okay, so when creation speaks, make sure you're listening. And while this, uh, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Okay, the thing that otherwise this could be the the, the uh, curtain that's in the front of the temple, um, or it could be the one that separates the whole into the holy holies. Either way, God, something powerful is happening. God is changing something. Something that otherwise created separation between either Jew and Gentile, or um, or chief priest and everybody else is being ripped apart. There's now access to God. There's a, a means for forgiveness, and there's a means of interacting with God in a way that wasn't true before. The, the, the temple is being, uh, that, that veil is being torn. Okay? Jesus cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Um, everything that Jesus says on the cross is a psalm. Everything that Jesus says on the cross is quoted. Okay? So, here's what's interesting, guys, is in times, I, I was thinking about this. I've been trying to read a psalm a day. I rocked it. I rocked it for three months. And then I stunk for three months. And now I'm back on for roughly two, three weeks. Okay? But think of it. In a time of, of Jesus' greatest trouble and trial, he doesn't speak anything but the Word of God. I say that to, to you to say, um, in times of trouble, where do we reach? Guys, what, like, do we reach for our own thoughts, our own ways to, <laughs> to try to sort something out? Um do we, do we reach for, um, I don't know, other wisdom? When our opportunity, guys, is to reach for, for God's word. And I seem to think that if it was good enough for Jesus, if it was sufficient to carry him through such a terrible ordeal, um, that it probably is capable of handling anything I could throw at it. And so uh, I think it's, if we're not, if you guys aren't saturating in God's word, now's the time. If we want to kind of weather the storms and have our ability to be reminded of true things about God, um, during those times, I anyway, I, it, it just it's it's encouraging to me to think that that's what he's always calling back to. And if you haven't read Psalm thirty-one five, I won't do it today because we're we're gonna be long already. But just go back and read it. Um, the the question is why is he why is he go, pulling that back in you, when he says, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" That's not an accusation. He's also that's also a psalm. He's because the nature of that psalm is for him to say is is the the, the complainant David in that psalm. Asked why God has forsaken him, and then he realizes by the end of the psalm that God never left him. 
And that this is true here as well. Okay? When he's calling back to those, he's reminding himself true things about God's character, even when the earthly environment doesn't show it out. Okay? So dig it in. Dig it in. And if you're and if you if you're like, boy, I just don't know if God is with me, these are the way we are reminded of it. Okay, read the psalm. Okay. Uh, having said this, he breathed his last. And when this, the centurion had saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. I don't think it was just because he said that psalm part. It's very unlikely, by the way, that the centurion knew it was a psalm. Everyone else probably would have got it. But it's not he's like, oh yeah, that must be from the Hebrew Psalter. Not likely. It's the combination of how of seeing how Jesus is handling himself and watching the environment around him. Okay? And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. What does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it, they're also recognizing that something wasn't right here. Okay? What they saw changed what they believed. In, okay? It it made them believe that maybe we've crucified an innocent man. Okay? And again, I, I think we underappreciate the, the environment, the darkening and things like that. I think that is a key for those for non-Jews to see that something major is happening. They wouldn't have known that the temple the um, clocks torn the temple. They wouldn't have known that, right? They were up at the hill. So I think it's it's watching how Jesus what Jesus is doing, how he's reacting, um, and watching the environment around it. Okay? Luke 24. Are you, hey, are you, you keeping in mind? Remember, you, there's, there's something that ties those two together. Let's look at this one and slide to it. Okay, uh, 24, we're going to start on verse 36. So Jesus, um, in Luke 24, he resurrects. Okay, they go to the tomb, he's not there. Uh, he has an interaction with some people on a road to Emmaus, talks to them, and then, boom, disappears. Okay, uh, so starting in Luke 24, verse 36. And as they, those of the disciples, were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. I think he's funny. The post-resurrected Jesus is funny. He's, he shows up places without announcing himself and just starts talking. And he doesn't go, Hey, it's me, Jesus. He's like, Hey, peace to you. I assume he said it real loud. Like he tried to scare them. They're like, Well, I don't know if Jesus saw Jesus on the road or not. Blah, 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 blah. Peace to you. <laughs> like that's, this is what I have in my mind because that's probably what I would do. Maybe that's probably wrong. Maybe he wouldn't do that because I would but like in either case, the post-resurrected Jesus is funny. He's constantly showing up and like not revealing his identity and then surprising people with it. Um, so here he goes. He says, "Peace to you." But even the, if you got the ESV, it's got an exclamation point. It's, it's an emphatic, uh, it's an emphatic gesture. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit, as you might, yes, as you might, you might assume. And he said to them, "Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts?" See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Funny, isn't it? Funny. So, so a few things to talk about. So they're startled and frightened, as you would be, I would imagine. I, don't fault the disciples here because you know that Jesus actually resurrected. This is perfectly legitimate. Okay, He says, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet. What's Jesus trying to prove here? Yeah, that he's not just like a, some sort of ghost. It's not ghost Jesus. This is Jesus. He's not uh, transitioned from life to death. He's alive. <laughs> he's back alive. Okay, And so he invites him to do what? Feel it. Touch it. What, whatever it is, I assume this is intentional, um, that, like the, the nails that were in his hands and feet are still there, like the holes that the nails created. Okay? Uh, and now, could, could he have resurrected and healed all that? Yeah, because there's no indication that all the other, remember he was beaten pretty bad. There's no indication, and the crown of thorns, no indication that all the rest of that stuff is there. He's retained this specifically so that he could show them. Okay? That, like, this is the connection. Um, between uh, my physical death and what you're looking at right now. He says, touch me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Hey, what does Jesus do in the face of doubt? He it. He, yes, he invites you to engage with him so that he can prove it to you. Okay? Don't miss that. When you have doubts about things, Jesus didn't go, you stupid man. Right? He's, when, he's, when he's talking about going, uh, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise? It's not an accusation. Okay, it's a question. He's like, it's, it's, he's it's showing them that he recognized that he had that they have these things. Okay, and he's going to invite them in a way to be reaffirmed, to not have those doubts anymore. Okay, 
And when he had said this, he, sh- uh, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Now, that's not them not believing it. When it says disbelieved for joy, it's a really weird, it's a weird phrase. Think of it as you might say, uh, it's the difference between, let's say uh, a Layla comes in and she says, I was riding my, uh, I was riding my scooter, okay? And I went up a ramp and I did a flip and I landed it, Okay. My first reaction might be like, yeah, I don't believe that. I don't believe it. And then she said, well, I'm going to show it to you. And then she went on her scooter and she think, and she did the flip and she landed it. And then I said, man, that is unbelievable. The, the first time I said it, I really didn't believe it. The second time I said it, I said, that's unbelievable. Not because I didn't believe it, but because it is extremely hard to believe. Make sense? That's what they're doing here. Where it says they're disbelieving for joy. <laughs> They're not saying they're not getting joy out of not believing anymore. They're like, boy, this is just this is not believable what we're taking in here right now. Okay? Uh, they oh no, I love this. Hey, this happens multiple stories, by the way. Post-resurrected Jesus eating fish. If you don't eat fish, you may not love Jesus. Because when he shows up after his death, he's looking for fish. Uh, it happens in the story that John tells, the fellows are out fishing, and they they're they catch the fish or whatever, and they see Jesus. Peter jumps off the boat in full regalia in all his cloak and everything and swims out there, and Jesus is out cooking fish on the side of the road like just a dude making fish. And so he shows up to these guys and says, hey, you got anything to eat, fellas? I've just just been in the grave for two days. I'm a little famished. Okay? Why does he eat something? Why does he ask for something to eat? Prove that he's alive. Yeah. You guys seen the Casper movement? This old, you guys seen the, cat, the, the the old Casper movement? Anyway, so it's the cat, the Casper the ghost lives with like three other rude ghosts or whatever, and uh, Casper has to make him breakfast, and then uh, he makes him all this food, whatever, and then all the ghosts come in and they go, rawr, rawr, rawr. and what happens to the food? Yeah, because they're ghosts, man. Like, it's just he kind of makes its way through their ghostly material and then falls on the ground, and then like uh, Casper goes and cleans it up or whatever. And so, and, like, that, it's that thought, right? Like, if you were a ghost, you would not eat anything. You couldn't consume the fish. It wouldn't stay in your belly. Uh, so he's, he's, he's inviting them into some sort of closeness with him, but also proving that he's actually a person. Ew. You know how much joy that brings me? Because I'm super want to be able to eat after we die. Like, that brings me joy. Yeah. And, you know, and, like, you never really know what that's going to be like. But the fact that there's still two feet. Oh man! Think it is the 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 biblical story. Amanda says this is great news because uh, this seems like a guarantee that there will be food in our heavenly experience, our forever time with the Lord. Here's the thing: the the Bible pictures um, like when Jesus returns and and all the world is remade new. This sense is of, of a great banquet. Like that's the picture: is that everyone will get together and you're going to share this massive meal. And so, like, I would say food and communing and massive celebration are most certainly tied up with our forever experience. So this is good news. Kisses at the door, Kevin. Lots of fish. Yeah, you're going to like fish in heaven. You got them all. I don't remember we got food. Nope, nope. Hey, quick question. Yep. Sarah was wondering, and I was also wondering, if Thomas, doubting Thomas, would have been in this group that Jesus was proving his aliveness to. Yeah, I think this is the same story. Uh, I think Luke just doesn't highlight Thomas' specific interaction. It unfairly, his name has become Doubting Thomas. Because anybody in his right mind would go, is that guy really back from the dead? Because we don't really see that. Uh, but yes, I think it's the same story. I think he's just from a... Uh, Luke doesn't focus in on it. Okay, uh, let's finish up Luke 24. And You guys got the thought. You got to tell me how these connected. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So real quick, uh, things to recognize here. Um, one, the, again, the reason, guys, we study scripture is we can see what God is doing. Jesus is saying nothing that's happening here. Like, it may be different than what you were thinking, but, like, I've been talking about this. Your just expectations weren't lined up right. Um, he opens their minds for them to understand the scripture, not open their minds and told them something new. 
Okay? He felt like it was adequate what we could have read to understand what Jesus was going to do. Um, it said they the king should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. It says, You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. What's the promise of my father? Um, that that Jesus would come, right? Well, Jesus has already come. You mean the second coming? Yeah. No, I don't think that's it. Let me read the second, second, the next sentence. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That they would get the Holy Spirit. There it was. Yes, that's the gift. That's the promise of my Father. What's that? I wonder if it's right. Oh, yeah, I promise she's right there. Um. Yeah, but stay in the city. You're clothed with power from on high. So Jesus is, uh, yes, affirming that what has happened, and he's making them a promise, just like Matthew does at the end of his gospel, that they have work to do. They're to take this message that Jesus has proclaimed, and it's to go to absolutely everybody, and the Holy Spirit will be sent to hell. Okay, good. Those are our three scriptures for today. Did anybody pick it out? We looked at the so let me remind you. We looked at three stories: the sinful woman at the Pharisee's house, Jesus on the cross with the thief uh, or the uh, with the revolutionary and the centurion, and the rest read to Jesus with the disciples. Did you guys see anything that seems that's common among all three? Nobody, well, they kind of just thought that, like, they shouldn't believe it or that it shouldn't be happening. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a doubt in there that it should yeah. be happening? Well, like, the Pharisees said, like, he shouldn't be doing this. They thought he shouldn't be alive. And it's like, how could he? Ah, perfect. All right. So what Emma said was, is that what's consistent between the three things is that people believe that something shouldn't be going on. So if Jesus was a prophet, he wouldn't be acting this way. Um, if Jesus was a king, he wouldn't be staying up on the cross. Uh, and uh, the other ones, the, the uh, disciples didn't believe that Jesus would be, they didn't expect that he would come back. Okay, that he would be back from resurrection. Okay, that's, that's really, really close. So in each one, um, here's what I think ties them together. In each one, there's someone who expects Jesus to act in a certain way or to be a certain thing. Okay? In each one, there's a human with a preconceived notion of how things will be. How Jesus should handle himself if he is who he claims to be. So for the Pharisee story, it's the expectation of a prophet. The Pharisee expects Jesus, if he is a prophet, to, what, to know what kind of person this woman is. And to reject her because of it. They have an expectation that Jesus should only interact with perfect people. With worthy people, with those who have, I don't know, sinned less. But the Pharisee couldn't have been more wrong. Jesus came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to rescue those who needed rescue, not the arrogant ones who think that they don't need his help at all. At all. Okay? And it's, it's, you know what's funny? Is that, like, obviously, um, the, he said if he is a prophet, he would know. Did Jesus know? Yeah. Of course he knew. Of course he said this woman has sinned plenty, but her sins are forgiven. So the, the two things that the, guy, the the thing the guy set up for, like, if he was a prophet, he would know. It's ironic. Jesus obviously is a prophet, and he obviously did that. He did it anyway. He had an expectation of Jesus and how he would act with sinful people, and Jesus rejects that. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, it's the expectation of a king. Both the Roman soldier and the revolutionaries mock him. If you are a king, get yourself down from the cross. They mimic Matthew, who tells us in his version of the crucifixion, the story that the Jewish leadership said the same thing. This is how Matthew said it. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. But they couldn't be more wrong. They said, if you are the son of God, use your power to come down. And the actions of Jesus say, because I am the son of God, I love you so very much that I will not come down. They expected power to protect itself, to preserve itself. In their experience, kings sacrifice others to preserve power and exalt themselves. But Jesus, the king of all kings, gave up his power, humbles himself, an innocent man dying a sinner's death, sacrificing himself to clear a path for our rescue a way that we can be restored into right relationship with God. Every inch of our body, mind, and soul is rescued, restored. You see it? Like they had, a, they had a wrong notion of what a king is. They misunderstood. He said a king would use his power to come down, and Jesus says, I will use all the power that I really do have to stay here and sacrifice on your behalf. And then there's the disciples at the resurrection. 
They simply didn't expect, they had no expectation to see Jesus again. Should they have? Um, yeah. yeah! I mean, it seems like they were really unsure what was going on. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, here's the thing. They saw him arrested. Hey, buddy, you taking... What you doing over here? You taking the video? Yeah, it's weird. I'm not saying this is woman anointing my feet during the sermon weird, but it's a little weird. So, um... Uh-oh. Oh, you better see what your mama do it. So, the disciples at the resurrection, they, didn't, they simply didn't expect to see Jesus again. They saw him arrested. They saw him beaten. They saw him crucified. They saw him wrapped. And they saw him buried. Even though he told him that he would return, they still didn't expect it to happen. I mean, would you? It's a hard thing to believe, isn't it? It's a hard thing to believe. And when he appears suddenly among them, they were startled and frightened. And in that moment, their expectations changed from never seeing him again to believing that it must be his ghost or his spirit. They got halfway there, but they still didn't expect him to have to be able to come back to life. But Jesus abides no partial victory. He didn't just transition from an earthly life to some kind of heavenly life where his spirit lives on. He resurrected completely. He wasn't a mist or a ghost or a vision. This was Jesus in the flesh, letting people poke around and having a bit of broiled fish like a living, breathing, resurrected dude would. Hey, this is kind of the bring it home section. You should do something else. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Go take it. Go show that to your mama. Okay, so here, here's the deal. Here's the takeaway. You got like, you got five minutes? Yeah, I got five minutes. Legit five minutes. It's on the paper. It's not going to go more. Okay, five minutes. Um, so, as I look at those three stories, here's what I wanted. I wanted to remind you today that Jesus is in the business of turning things upside down. He's in the business of defying expectations. He did it then, and he's still doing it now. On this Resurrection Sunday... I want you to think about what your expectations of Jesus are. Now might be the time to start letting him surprise you. To be open to letting him change you. Change what you think about him. Change what you think about yourself in light of what he's done for you. Now's a good time to relook at our expectations of Jesus. Maybe you expect that... Go here. Let me go through just, just some things that maybe you have the wrong expectations on. Okay. Maybe you expect that your sins put Jesus off. That he shies away from them. But in defiance of the wish of the Pharisee who he dines with, Jesus allows a sinful woman to approach him, to serve him. There's no amount of sin or type of sin that causes Jesus to turn someone away. And he doesn't merely put up with it. He delights in it. Remember we said, like, the whole point of the parable was to say, um, she who has been forgiven much loves much. Jesus delights in forgiving sin. He delights in rescuing because he wants the love that comes out of him. He wants to see the great love that is produced by great forgiveness, the love that he shows being produced back into the world. Okay, He delights in forgiving so deep and so wide that the sinner finds freedom and demonstrations of great love come from him. It required her to, to know that she was a sinner, to be able to confess those things and say, I, I need forgiveness. Okay, But Jesus delights in being able to do that. So if your expectation is that Jesus is put off on by your sin, you need to change your expectation. Maybe you expect that you have nothing. Uh-oh. Maybe you expect that you have nothing to offer Jesus. But Jesus warmly receives the perfume on his feet from that woman. It's very possible that the perfume was purchased with money gained from whatever her sinful behavior was, yet it was everything that she had. She offered her appreciation in what she knew. She approached in humility and showed her love. Yeah, it goes back to the memory he was teaching on the Sermon on the Plain. He said, Blessed are those ultimately who know that they need God. That's what he's honoring here. It isn't guys showing up to Jesus and saying, I'm pretty perfect like the Pharisee would. It's saying, God, God looks out and says, I want to bless you because you know that you need me. It doesn't do any good to hide our sin, guys. It doesn't do any good to keep it to ourselves. He gives us to confess it to him, frankly, also to community so that other people can know and encourage and be with us. Guys, to the extent that you're protecting it from any of those things, you're trying to dodge it. You're trying to hide it. And Jesus has rescue on the other side of it. And so I'm inviting you like this woman to say, hey, look, whatever I got going on, I, I just want to be free of it. And Jesus delights in helping you be free of it. And so don't hold it in. If your expectations are that he is, doesn't want to be part of it, you're wrong. And if your expectations are that you have nothing to offer him, you're wrong. Okay, Maybe you expect that this woman's story is unique. 
that this is just one story about one woman and that that same grace does not apply to you. But the resurrected Jesus reminds us that's simply not true. Luke 24, 47, he tells the disciples that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Her experience is absolutely everybody's experience. Repentance, turning from the thing, calling it out, saying, I want to be free of this thing. And then taking the forgiveness that he offers so wide and so deep. It's for absolutely everybody. Absolutely everybody. It's not beyond you. If your expectation is that Jesus is offering to other people and not you, you need to change your expectation. Maybe you expect that when you are at your lowest, that you are furthest from grace. Have you guys ever felt that way? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But like when I felt like I was at my worldly lowest, when I recognized, like I just, my life was not nice when I need it the most. There we go. Uh, we need to change our expectations into that. But you are closest to the grace of God when you humbly come to Jesus knowing that you need that very grace. That's when you're the closest. You could hardly find a lower human situation than the guys who hung on either side of Jesus, being humiliated and crucified. He had absolutely nothing to offer Jesus. He only knew that he was a sinful man who needed rescue. Okay, he says, we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man had done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's, it's very difficult, guys, to find a person that seemed lower in his human life. But that's when he was closest to God's grace. It's when you think that you don't need it. When you're under the impression that, that you're doing just fine and that uh, your life is pretty perfect and that you're handling yourself. You don't recognize that you need the grace of God. That's when you're the father of God. And so that woman who came weeping at Jesus' feet because of the forgiveness that he offered, the man who hung on the cross and said, I'm guilty of this thing, but Jesus is not. Will you, can you save me? Can you um, remember me when you come into your kingdom? And he says, absolutely. They are cl way closer to grace than the Pharisee ever will be. Okay? So if you expect that Jesus, uh, Jesus, the grace of Jesus is farthest from you when you feel your worst, you need to change your expectations. It's when it's closest to your grasp because you recognize that you need it. Maybe you expect that no innocent man would willingly die to save you, even if it was only you. But Jesus still died on the cross for you. It's your expectation that you're not worth it. You need to change your expectation. Because Jesus said you most certainly are. I had a person ask, ask one time, if, if I was the only person in the world, would Jesus have still died on the cross for me? I said, that's a false question. Because Jesus would have made man number two. Secondly, yeah, because I still would have sinned. And I still would have needed the rescue. I still would have needed rescue. We'll go that your mama. And so, yeah. So, so don't think of it as Jesus died on the cross to rescue everyone else. Yes, it was everybody. But that includes you. And so, if you expect that no innocent man would willingly die to save you, then you need to change your expectations. And maybe, and maybe, I'll, maybe we can leave you with this. Maybe, just maybe, you expect people who die to stay dead. And if that's what you think, you need to change your expectation. Because that isn't what happens. That's the very thing that we celebrate today. The thing that Easter reminds us of is that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he knew, he knew everything that he was doing. But he would not be conquered by death. And so, in the world where, where, where Jesus dies on crosses is the same world that people don't stay dead. And Jesus doesn't stay dead. And he comes to show us what it's like to live fully in this life and forever and beyond that. And maybe you expect, expect that maybe that's just something that happens to Jesus. Maybe you expect that when you die, you will stay dead too. But Jesus conquering death was for you too. We celebrate Easter, not just because Jesus rose back from the dead. We celebrate Easter because it is the indication that we live forever too. And that our death is never permanent. Our physical death is of no consequence to us whatsoever. That we were rescued. That's the, the, the Resurrection Day song right, points to us that we, we are as good as living forever at the very moment that we say, I want to love and serve, follow Jesus because he's right and he's true and he loves me and I know that I need him. And to the extent that that's true, guys, we live, we live forever. Our bodies will never die. We are resurrected just like Jesus is. If, like the man on the cross, we trust him to do so, we get to live forever too. And that's, guys, that's the Easter message. That's the thing that we celebrate. Because he did, he did do that for us. He didn't do it just to say, oh, look, look what God can do. God can conquer death. He wasn't just conquering his own death. He was conquering ours. 
And so, at this time of Easter, guys, maybe it's a good time to check your expectations, your presumptions about how Jesus is, who he interacts with, what he does. Any short, anything that you feel like that is keeping you separated from Jesus, guys, I want you to relook at it and say, am I expecting the right and true things about Jesus? Or am I otherwise being blocked by things that aren't right? Things that otherwise shouldn't be separating from me. The very thought that I have sin, the feeling that I'm far from his grace, the feeling that I don't know whether this is true or I have doubts about this thing or that thing. Jesus is, your expectations are that Jesus cannot handle those. You need to change your expectations. Happy Easter, guys. Thanks for hanging out with me today. I appreciate it. Um, did I get everything in the chat or there's any other? Are you still your phone? Uh, yeah, I just, it was one thing Sarah said. Uh, I can't remember the comment now. Somebody Don't like touch. You had said something, and right at that time, a big gesture from the little. Oh. She felt like it was perfect timing. Sarah, you got to. Oh. <laughs> listen, listen to creation is speaking over in Carlisle. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, buddy, you ready to go? Hey, I hope you guys enjoy your Easter time um, with your, uh, well,